Happy Halloween, Northlings, and welcome to Haunted Up North. listeners, it's me, Victoria, here to tear your soul apart and to tell you some supernatural stories from the north of the UK. It is my sincere wish that you find yourselves scintillated, scared and most importantly entertained by the spectral tales you're about to hear today. Not only on a selfish level to validate my sense of self-worth, but because also... It's Halloween. The best night of the year. (laughs) Apart from Christmas Eve, obviously, which is equally the best night of the year. Tied with bonfire night. We all love that as well, don't we? But it's not just Halloween today. It's Haunted Up North's second birthday. Birthday Huns! We've reached the terrible twos, which is quite an achievement two years old today. Two years of talking about ghosts from the misladen moors of Howarth. So, in honour of this double event, we've got two terribly terrifying tales to tell you tonight. Or today. Depends on when you're listening. Both narratives find their beginnings in the locality known as Ward End, nestled within the vibrant city of Birmingham, United Kingdom. Peaky Blinders territory, if any listeners aren't sure where that is. And if you haven't yet seen Peaky Blinders, then I'll quickly explain that Birmingham is a city and metropolitan borough in the metropolitan county of West Midlands in England. And it's the second largest city in Britain with a population of 1.145 million. It's quite specific, isn't it? 1.145 million. But it's what I've written... Ward End is an area of Birmingham between the neighbourhoods of Saltley, Hodgehill and Stetchford. It is home to Ward End Park, a public green space that has served the community well for over a century. It was opened in 1904 and is a quintessential English park, with rolling hills, flower beds and a boating lake for boaters. During the summer months, the park is a popular spot for picnics, walks and other outdoor activities. And in the heart of the park sits the iconic Ward End Park House, a historic mansion dating back to 1759. Over the course of the last 50 years or so, Ward End has played host to a series of truly extraordinary and unconventional occurrences. These events each marked by their uniqueness and unexpected nature, have left an indelible mark on the history and collective memory of this community. Between the years of 1981 and 1982, the residents of five houses on Thornton Road in Ward End experienced a series of bizarre and unexplained stone-throwing incidents. One night, the inhabitants of number 32 
were awakened by the sound of stones being thrown at their windows. Rushing out of bed, they observed a deluge of stones being hurled at their house, shattering the windows and causing significant damage to the roof tiles. The next night, the owners of number 34 were targeted. Again, stones were violently projected at their house, causing equal devastation, while those inside number 36 were also attacked, with their rear windows continually smashed. For several weeks, the episodes continued, and the locals were terrified. They didn't understand who was targeting them, or why. They were too afraid to sleep at night, and didn't know what to do. In an attempt to protect themselves, they took a number of measures. They placed chicken wire over their windows, erected corrugated sheeting, and wore safety helmets to bed. They even laced cotton thread around their gardens to see if it would be broken by the culprits. Amazingly, despite their properties being trashed, the cords were never snapped. At their wit's end, unable to locate the source of the mysterious stone-throwing and finding no clue of human activity, they finally turned to the Birmingham CID for help, who, in turn, were also baffled. They had never seen anything like it, they searched the area thoroughly and set up traps to catch the perpetrator. However, nothing worked. Unable to find any leads, the police decided to conduct a period of round-the-clock surveillance on Thornton Road. Officers camped out in gardens, hidden trees, and set up infrared cameras and image intensifiers. They were determined to catch the villain, but they never spotted anything except nighttime wildlife such as foxes, rats and rabbits. They searched the area around the affected houses thoroughly, looked for footprints, tyre tracks, fingerprints, any kind of DNA evidence, but they couldn't find a thing. Throughout everything, the stone throwing persisted, and the inhabitants of Thornton Road were constantly awakened by the sound of the mysterious stones, even while the police were watching. The stones themselves were a mystery, they were smooth, polished, and showed no signs of fingerprints, and even after extensive expert analysis, no one could identify the type of stone or where they'd even come from. Despite being under extensive pressure, the police were determined to solve the mystery, but were running out of ideas. Chief Inspector Len Turley, the officer in charge of the investigation, was understandably frustrated. In one interview, he stated, we have spent more than a thousand man-hours on this case, and we are still no closer to catching the perpetrator. We are keeping an open mind about the whole thing, but we simply don't know why this has been going on for so long. If we even knew the reason for it, we would be one step closer to solving the case. Turley's frustration was shared by the residents of Thornton Road, who were living in fear and uncertainty. They were further unsettled by the fact that the police seemed unable to catch the stone-thrower. This led some to believe that the stones were not thrown by a human, but by some supernatural force. The community began to speculate that the siege was the work of a poltergeist, a mischievous spirit that causes physical disturbances, such as moving objects and throwing stones. The strange case repeatedly made headlines in national newspapers, 
and was even aired on television by acclaimed sci-fi author Arthur C. Clarke. Clarke was intrigued by the case and visited Thornton Road himself to interview those affected and investigate the claims of paranormal activity. In a report for the Daily Mail, he wrote, The Thornton Road case is one of the most baffling and disturbing poltergeist cases I have ever encountered. There is no doubt that something very strange is happening on this street. The residents are terrified, and the police are baffled. I can only offer two possible explanations. Either we are dealing with a real poltergeist, or there is a very clever and malevolent person at work. Clark's report added to the public fascination with the case. People from all over the country visited the street to see if they could witness the strange phenomena for themselves. Some people even claimed to have been hit by stones or to have seen other unexplained occurrences. Though the police were sceptical of the poltergeist claims, they were still unable to offer any other alternative explanation. In May 1982, the Birmingham Mail reported that frightened residents of a suburban road were preparing for another night of mystery bombardments upon their homes. Natalie Holford was just 17 when the attack started at her home at number 32. She told the Mail that she now believes in psychic phenomena and that she wishes she had known then what she knows now. Holford described the feeling of being stalked and how the onslaught would happen just as she was falling asleep. She said that the police would leave her house at 2am and by the time they had reached the police station, there would be another attack. You could hear the stones rolling down the roof, she said. It was so weird. The assaults took a toll on Holford's studies and she said that she was constantly waiting for something to occur. It was happening so regularly. There were police everywhere and they even put a camera in one of our rooms. My mum was at her wit's end. It was the lack of sleep. The home of Geoffrey Sidebotham and his sister Gwyneth Donnelly sustained the worst damage during the Thornton Road crisis. Sidebotham, who was 67 years old at the time, said, I'm still very bitter about it. It was an absolute nightmare and hastened the death of my mother without a doubt. Geoffrey's mother, who suffered from arthritis and emphysema, died in 1982. Geoffrey himself worked nights for the co-op, so he was not present when the windows of his home were smashed. However, he too was sceptical of the claims that the stone-throwing was the work of a poltergeist. Geoffrey believed that someone, not something, was responsible for the attacks. It upset the whole household, he recalled. There were police everywhere, even in the trees, freezing. Windows were smashed every night by stones. As soon as you replaced one, it would be put through again. One bed was covered in glass. We weren't fully insured, so it must have cost a fortune. Geoffrey's sister, Gwyneth, was also deeply traumatised. She wept as she recalled the nightly torment. It took my mother's life, she said. I can remember a stone coming through the window and landing right by her wheelchair. I used to go to bed with a Bible under my pillow and prayed every night for it to stop. A vicar came to our house, and he was convinced it was the work of vandals. In December 1981, Superintendent Baden-Skip 
vowed that the police would catch the person, or thing, responsible for the Thornton Road stone-throwing incidents. We have devoted know-how and manpower of major murder-hunt proportions to this case, Skit said. We are not treating it as a game. A very serious crime is being committed. The culprit holds all the aces, but we will get him in the end. He will slip up. The Thornton Road stone-throwing crisis proved to be one of the most challenging cases that the Birmingham police had ever faced. The phantom stone-thrower was always one step ahead of them, and they were never able to identify or apprehend them. By the end of 1982, the stone-throwing eventually ceased, and the police gave up on their investigation, but left the case open. They later put forward the idea that the stones may have been launched 200 yards from the houses using a homemade catapult, but no evidence was ever found to support this theory. Thankfully, as in most poltergeist cases, no one was seriously injured. The worst injury reported was a grazed cheek, but the trauma forever remains for those who lived through it. The case baffled both police and clergy, and those who live on Thornton Road still speak in hushed tones about the unsettling investigation. The attacks caused significant damage to property and terrorised the residents who lived there. However, no one was ever able to identify or apprehend the person responsible, and the mystery of Thornton Road remains to this day unsolved. I am so scared of this. <laughs> uh, this, this, this. This stone-throwing story reminds me of the West Horton poltergeist, which I did an episode about back in April 2022. That was a similar account of a supposed supernatural entity attacking uh, not just one household, but again an entire neighbourhood in Greater Manchester during the 1990s. I mean, I don't really know what to think about it. I guess it's possible some criminal assailant with a fancy catapult could have been hurtling stones at people's houses for fun, but poltergeists do seem to have a fondness for throwing little things like pebbles, coins and stones in most of the poltergeist cases I've read about anyway. It's still very intriguing, even if a human was responsible and not a poltergeist. It's still a big old mystery, isn't it? It's, it's an enduring and interminable riddle that's still yet to be solved. Like, you know, I, I don't find the Jack the Ripper enigma any less compelling, just because I know it was a human murdering poor Victorian ladies and not an actual ghost. If anyone lived on Thornton Road during the years of 1981 and 1982, I'd love to hear from you. Or if anyone still lives there and has experienced something or is still affected by what happened all those years ago, please email me at hauntedupnorth at gmail.com and convey to me your memories of what life was like on the street back then, or what it's like on the street now, or in between those two times, <laughs> the 80s and the present, whatever. If you live on Thornton Road, email me and tell me something interesting about it. <laughs> If you want, obviously. Understandably, it may have been an intensely harrowing experience. It, it certainly sounds like it was, so I don't want to undermine the trauma of what people may have gone through, but I would, at the same time, like to hear some first-hand accounts. 
The second story we have for you today is very Halloween. Could it be any more Halloween? I'll let you, the listener, decide as I regale you with the horrifying account of the Birmingham Vampire. In January 2005, Birmingham was gripped by fear after rumours of a vicious vampire on the loose started circulating. The rumours began in the Ward End area, where stories emerged of a man lurking in the New Year streets and sinking his teeth into passers-by. The first alleged victim was an elderly man who was bitten by an unknown assailant who then pounced on a neighbouring family who came to the man's aid, even taking a chunk out of a female bystander's arm. These blood-sucking stories spread like wildfire, and soon there were reports of vampire attacks all over Birmingham. People were afraid to go out at night, and some even boarded up their windows and doors. The suspect was supposedly a Somali man, in his mid-twenties, with unusual strength, who single-handedly fought off the crowd who gathered to apprehend him, making a miraculous escape. Eyewitnesses claimed that the vampire had red eyes, could turn invisible, could turn into a dog, or possibly even had rabies. Soon, the vampire was said to be operating in nearby areas too, Saltley, Small Heath, and Alum Rock, and further accounts of multiple assaults and of people being bitten after answering their front doors emerged. The suspect's description was sketchy, but the details that were available only added to the terror of this hideous hearsay. He was said to be a tall, thin man with dark hair. He had a gaunt face with sunken eyes and sharp teeth. The more outlandish the stories became, the more people seemed to believe them. The vampire's alleged attacks were becoming more frequent and more brutal. People were being bitten in their homes, on the streets and even in their cars. The victims described being attacked by a man with superhuman strength and speed. He would bite them on their neck and drink their blood, then he would simply disappear. The story of the Birmingham vampire spread quickly, and soon it was being reported by national media outlets such as The Guardian, Radio 5 Live and Richard and Judy. Jim Levack, the news editor of the Birmingham Evening Mail, said... We were getting about ten calls a day. It spiralled out of control and became ridiculous. One resident of Ward End, Josephine McNally, who worked at the old Barleymo pub, said, All I've heard is that there's a fellow who is going around attacking people like a dog and biting them. It does put the wind up you. <laughs> An employee of the Saltley Community Leisure Centre commented, I've heard that this guy's a bit crazy, and that he's been biting people. While Father Anthony Rohan, of the Holy Family Catholic Church in Small Heath, stated, I heard the story in the barbers the other day. They asked me if I believed in vampires, and I said no. The lollipop lady mentioned it to me as well. I'm not worried though, I've got a lot of crucifixes in the house. In the weeks following the initial rumours of the Birmingham vampire, Reporters were flooded with calls from terrified families and community leaders claiming to have heard similar reports. Worried parents at local schools bombarded head teachers with phone calls, fearing that the vampire might attack their children. A spokesperson for City Road Primary School said, 
We have had many parents coming in concerned because they had heard somebody has been going around biting people. Oliver Luft of the Birmingham News Agency reported, As the sun dips below the rooftops of sleepy terrace streets, residents rush home, quickly gathering up playing children, because after nightfalls, a vampire hungry for blood stalks. Reports of a Dracula-style attacker on the loose, biting innocent people, has spread terror throughout neighbourhoods in Birmingham, causing many to fear the darkness of the night. In response to the hysteria, Birmingham police released a statement asserting that they had not received any reports of victims coming forward. To date, they said, we have not received any reports from people stating they have been bitten. This appears to be an urban myth which is being fuelled by rumours. Similarly, no local hospitals reported seeing any vampire casualties coming through their doors either. There were no accounts of any serious injuries or deaths, and there was no physical evidence of any attacks. The police's statement did little to stop the rumours, however. Many people believed that they were simply trying to cover up the truth, or that they were incompetent. Although authorities believed they were dealing with nothing more than a mythical bogeyman, some residents remained unsettled. Despite the lack of evidence, supernatural stories of the Birmingham vampire persisted. Many believed that the vampire was real, while others believed it was a hoax or a mass hysteria event, deliberately started by a person or a group of people to simply create fear or chaos. Whatever the reason for these stories, they had a significant impact on the Birmingham community. Countless residents were afraid to leave their homes at night. Businesses in the affected areas suffered a sharp decline in customers, and the police were forced to increase patrols in the area in order to reassure the public. The rumours also had a psychological impact on many people. Some reported feeling anxious and stressed, and some even had nightmares about being attacked by a vampire. They also served to reinforce negative stereotypes about the Somali community, and though the media frenzy surrounding the Birmingham vampire eventually died down, the story still remains a popular urban legend in Birmingham. That's not very Twilight, is it? Lots to unpack there. Lots to get your teeth into. This story. So the other story reminded me of the West Horton poltergeist and this story reminds me of, oh god, (laughs) it started raining and my cat shouting. So I think we're going to have to deal with the rain and the shouting for the foreseeable. Apologies (laughs) if you can hear that in the background. I've shut the door on my cat. I can't shut the door on the rain. Battering the skylight. So yeah, the last story reminded me of the West Horton poltergeist and this story reminds me of... It reminds me of the Highgate vampire, for obvious reasons, but it also reminds me of those weird clowns that started appearing in the US on Halloween in 2016, chasing people and threatening violence, so loads of schools and businesses had to close down then as well. That was a similar kind of hysteria effect, although there were actually real-life people dressed as clowns in that case. And who knows whether the Birmingham vampire, in whatever form, truly existed or not. Both exceptional Halloween stories, anyway, I think you'll agree. And I hope you enjoyed hearing all about the Ward End poltergeist and Birmingham vampire. 
Drew's Lane, which is another area of Ward End. Uh, I found some information about that as I was researching this episode. It has been voted, Drew's Lane, uh, one of Britain's most haunted roads. Because in 2006, Tarmac, a prominent company in the heavy building materials industry, compiled a list of the most haunted roads in Britain. Drew's Lane in Ward End secured the 10th position on this list owing to a string of accidents and the sound of phantom car accidents. So there were real accidents and the sound of phantom car accidents, which possibly could be an echo of the real-life accidents. This phenomena dates back to the 1970s when Drew's Lane gained notoriety for boasting a string of inexplicable car rollovers, primarily occurring at a sharp corner where drivers were earnestly encouraged to exercise caution. One resident who witnessed the uncanny events firsthand was Ida Butler, who took up residence on the lane during the 1970s. While there haven't been any recent accidents here, she recalls, we experienced a series of them back in the day. About 30 years ago, it seemed like we had one every couple of years. There was one incident that still haunts my memory, a particularly horrific crash by the shop's corner where two lives were tragically lost. Oh God, rain. Uh, I hope this is adding to the Halloween ambience. <laughs> Drew's Lane continues to be an enigmatic location with its mystifying history of ghostly road incidents, captivating the imagination and curiosity of those who pass through its eerie curves. Eerie curves, that's a bit sexy, isn't it? If Morticia Adams was a road, she'd most certainly be Drew's Lane in Ward End, Birmingham, according to my description of it. But road accidents are not nice. Don't be in one, if you can help it. On the subject of road ghosts, my friend told me a story the other week about something strange they saw driving home from work one night. They saw someone crossing the road that they were travelling on, and in a car, and they this person stepped out in front of two lorries who were travelling to my friend's left. So my friend was in the right-hand lane, and the lorries were in the two lanes to their left which is the direction from which the person they saw crossing the road came from. But the lorries weren't, from what my friend could see, near enough to hit anyone crossing, so they didn't think much of it and expected the person they saw to walk in front of their car. Uh, They were obviously all at a considerable distance from this person that my friend could see. Uh, But when it came to the point where the person would have otherwise walked out into the third lane, which my friend was in, there was just nobody. No one was there not even at the side of the road, and definitely nowhere in the road. So this individual, whoever it was, had just completely disappeared. They hadn't crossed the road, they hadn't been hit, and they hadn't retreated back to the pavement. They'd just gone. So my friend was obviously perplexed. All of this, of course, happened within a few seconds, but just as my friend passed the point where the on-foot pedestrian had been, they saw to their right, fastened to the roadside barriers, a shrine of flowers like actual bouquets of flowers that have been placed there and fixed to the railings of the barriers like those you see in various accident sites where people have either crashed or been hit by a vehicle and died. So it's very strange. You know, could it it be that what my friend witnessed that day was a haunting echo of some poor person who'd met a tragic fate on that road? And was it possible that the last moments of their life were being replayed like an unending loop? 
for my friend to inadvertently bear witness to as they made their routine drive back home from work. Who knows? But another thing that was weird, that the lorries that my friend was travelling alongside didn't seem to be slowing down, as though it was only my friend that had seen the pedestrian about to cross the road. Which kind of makes you think, if they could see it, but no one else could, was it something special about my friend's brain that was picking up an energy? I mean, it's all very sad, but it's obviously, but it's, it's very thought-provoking, nonetheless. We've had quite a mixture of different supernatural themes today. Poltergeist, vampires, and road ghosts. Thanks for listening, everyone, and for letting me inject a bit of ward and soul into your day. I hope you found these ghosts to be good ones, and that you were suitably entertained by them. Long live Halloween, and all who haunt her, and may her power forever compel you to beware the stone-throwing poltergeist that specialises in shattered windows with a side salad of chaos. See you later! Sorry about the rain. Bye! Eerie curves. That's a bit sexy, isn't it?